0: This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas.
1: A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others.
0: For more information, visit www.ruf.org
1: UT. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF.
0: We're going to be reading from John 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And then down to verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed.
1: Well, hey guys, my name is John Trapp. I'm the campus minister here for RUF. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, just want to clarify, too, I'm, I'm wearing my hat backwards because if it was forward, the light would be weird in my face. Uh, I recognize that I'm a middle-aged man, a father of five, wearing a, ha- a backwards hat, but I have bad hat hair, and so... And also, you know, just trying to be hip, relevant with the youths, and maybe you guys are into it. The music team's not into it, but... Oh, okay, thank you. thank you. Um, glad to have y'all here uh, studying God's Word with us tonight. RUF is a place where we actually believe we can bring all of our thoughts and even our doubts to God, and the Bible is really clear that God does not shy away from meeting us in our doubts, and we see this really clearly in this passage, and if we're all honest with ourselves, at some point, we have doubts, and I hear that from y'all when I meet you. I've met with, with so many students who would say that they're Christians who even have questions like, how do I know if I have saving faith? I always hear you say, like, we're saved not by what we do, but by our faith in Jesus, but how do I know that my faith is saving faith? Or, I even think about one time, this was like six or seven years ago, I was playing, some of y'all don't know this, but I played disc golf. Like, it's like frisbee golf, but more serious. And, um, it's not that serious. But I was in a tournament, and it was this like match play tournament, and I was playing this guy who's a really good disc golfer. He was a senior at UT at the time, and, he and I were talking during the whole round, and he told me he was a biology major, and we, he was interested in the fact that I was a pastor, and he's not a believer, but we kind of struck up this long conversation throughout the round, and we got to the end of our round, and I was like, all right, so we've been talking all kinds of stuff about like the origin of life and what you think about that and that sort of thing, but I want to hear what you think about death. Like, What do you think happens when you die? And there was this kind of long, pregnant silence, and he goes... I don't know. I try not to think about that too much. So even in his own worldview, he had doubts and didn't really know how to deal with them. And my question for y'all is like, what do you do with that? What do you do with your doubts? Do you feel bad about them? Do you avoid them? What I want you to see in this passage is that the... Jesus does not shy away from our doubts. And I've got to be honest with you though, like this passage historically in my life has kind of bothered me because you've got this guy named Thomas. who's like, unless I, you know, touch Jesus's scars, then I'll believe. And then boom, Jesus shows up. He's like, here you go. Touch my scars. And like, Thomas is like, sweet. I believe now. I'm like, well, dang good for Thomas. Like, that's great that that happened to him. But what about me? Like, what about my doubts? Where, how does Jesus meet me in my doubts? And, I'll tell you, the purpose of this passage is not to make you jealous about Thomas, even though that may be my own junk I need to deal with. The purpose of this passage is for you to see that Jesus cares deeply for doubters like me and like you and like Thomas. So three things tonight that I want to look at. First, why we doubt. Second, Jesus's response. And third, so what? Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, we ask now that you would meet us as we study your word and that we might see how you care about our doubts, and how um, you welcome us to bring them to you. And we pray that even now that you would meet us in that. This can only happen if you you condescend to us by your spirit, and we pray now that you would meet us, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first off, why we doubt? Well, with Thomas, Thomas is doubting because he wants evidence. You see, in, in this passage that Cole read for us in verse 19, all the disciples are there. It's, um, they're having church service, basically. It's like Sunday. And they don't really know what to do. They're just gathered. And Jesus shows up. But Thomas isn't there for it. And he misses out. And then he shows back, he gets there later on and they're, they're telling him, you can only imagine what they were saying about seeing Jesus in the flesh. And Thomas just doesn't believe it. And he, what Thomas says he needs is he needs more proof. He needs empirical data. He needs to touch, to measure, to see that this is real and true. And here's, here's what I think we need to see in this passage. One thing is that. Many of us are like Thomas in that we are always wanting more data that might convince us to actually believe. And there's something instructive about this passage which is that Thomas has had way more data than you and I will ever get. He has seen and observed things in the flesh about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and yet he still doesn't believe. Think about all the stuff we've looked at from the book of John this semester. He's seen Jesus feed 5,000 people fish and bread. He's seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He's seen Jesus heal blind people and cripple people. He's seen Jesus do all of this amazing stuff, and yet he still doubts no matter how much data he has received and seen, he still doubts. And if the raw data isn't enough for Thomas, it's not going to be enough for you. Think about this. This is a a different passage, but later in in Matthew 28, this is presumably, this this is after this account with Thomas occurs. This is Matthew 28, the very end of the book of Matthew, right before Jesus is about to send the disciples out on what's called the Great Commission, where he sends them to go and to spread his name abroad to all the nations. Listen to what happens while they're on the mountain and Jesus is about to give them the Great Commission. Verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They, they're. It's not just that, like with Thomas's case, where he's like, "Well, I didn't really see Jesus, and I don't really know it yet, and I need more data." They are literally there with Jesus on the mountain, worshiping him. And some of them, some of the eleven disciples, are like, "Is this actually happening?" I, I was having this conversation with Nicholas last week, and we're, I was like, "Man." Can you imagine if Jesus hadn't come back 2000 years ago, but instead he decided to come in 2020. And like, for me personally, I've thought that before, like, gosh, it'd be, Jesus, why didn't you do that? Like, it'd be great. Like everyone has iPhones now and we could like record you and all your miracles and people would see it from all over the place. But really stop and think about what would happen if a video of a man raising someone from the dead went on social media? What would everyone say? Fake news. Or, or it's some kind of camera trick, or it's some kind of whatever. Like there would be all kinds of reasons to still doubt. We would all want more empirical data, and it's what people are always doing with Jesus. We've seen it in the book of John. They're always asking him to do another sign. Give us another proof. Show us more that we should believe in you. Show us another reason we should trust you. And side note, kind of interesting, like with this text in Matthew 28, where it says some of the disciples doubted, the fact that that's in the passage makes me believe that this actually happened because if Matthew was making this story up about the disciples seeing Jesus and worshiping him, he would say if he was making it up and just trying to convince people to believe he'd say, and they saw Jesus and they worshiped him and everyone was very confident about what was happening. (laughs) But the fact that he puts this honest detail in the passage that some of them doubted what that, what that has is a ring of truth. Because that's like what the actual human experience is like. And he wouldn't have put it in there if it didn't actually happen. This is what happened. They were doubting. I remember talking to a UT student who um, was doubting and deciding whether or not to become a Christian. And they said, listen, I'm, I'm kind of at this point where I just, I'm getting more information and I need more information before I'll decide whether or not to believe in Jesus. And I was like, that is awesome. And I want you to do that, and I want to be with you in that process, and we'll be patient in that process. I'm not going to force you into anything. But I also have to tell you, you'll never get all the data you need. If Thomas couldn't get enough, you can't. You'll never get all the data you need. At some point, you have to put, you have to employ your faith. You have to believe. And that's not a like, well, just like don't even think about it. Just believe. Like, it doesn't matter like if it's rational or not. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not saying that. But the reality is for any worldview that you have, it requires faith. So if somebody says, you know what, I don't believe in God. I'm just, a, I'm just a man or a woman of science. That is a statement of faith. You need to know that. Because, and listen, I love science. I am pro-science. I think science is amazing. I think it's given us an incredible development and progress in our world. But if you say, I don't believe in the spiritual world because I believe in science, that's not a scientific statement because the spiritual world is something that is immaterial and unobservable to the scientific method. And so you can't actually use the scientific method to prove that the spiritual world doesn't exist because it can't measure it. And so all of us are stuck, whether you're an atheist or, or a Christian or a Buddhist or whatever, we all have to put faith in something. We're, we're not left with a choice of not putting faith in anything. Any view of the world requires faith, including following Jesus. But for many of us, it's not the empirical data that we don't be- that is the reason we don't believe or have doubts about God. For many of us, it's personal reasons that we doubt. Think about Thomas. Thomas Missed out on what everyone else experienced. This is the ultimate FOMO story. He missed the resurrected Jesus showing up with all of his friends. There is no greater FOMO than that. That's what happened to Thomas. He gets back and they're all, did you notice that his he had a nickname? I think that's so fun. They were like, twin, what's up? You all believe it? Jesus rose from the dead. And he's like, I don't know why they called him twin, by the way, but that was because we don't know who his twin brother was. It never says, but they're like, twin, he, Jesus is arisen. And he's like, I don't believe it. And you guys were here and they're like, no, no, he like breathed on us and gave us the Holy Spirit and told us like to do all this cool stuff. And like, man, wish you could have seen it. And for many of us, we doubt because we feel like we're missing out. We look around and we see all of this amazing spirit. Maybe you see all these amazing spiritual experiences that other people are having that you feel like you're missing out on. And you look around and say, like, man, this seems to all be working for other people, but I, is this even true for me? Is this, am I a Christian? I don't really feel it like they do. Or m- maybe it feels like God is doing good things for everybody but you. Man, that's when doubt creeps in, isn't it? When you look around, you see other people having all these blessings or things that you want happening to them. You look at your own life and you're like, God, do you even see me? Like, are, are you even real? Do you, what's, what's the deal? Um, I remember feeling that way when Chrissy and I first, um, we, when we found out the news that Chrissy was having a baby, but then a few days later, the doctor called us and told us that she had miscarried. They had run tests at our last appointment and that the baby that was inside of Chrissy's womb that we were so excited to meet had died. And listen, one thing for you to know is, I mean, a miscarriage is something that is common, but that doesn't make it not tragic. And if you don't face that at some point in your life, you'll very likely have someone that you love face that. And it is so sad and utterly tragic. And it makes you feel really out of control of your life. And I remember sitting on the couch next to my grieving wife, who's had this thing happen inside of her body, feeling completely out of control and wondering and doubting, God, why? What are you doing? And in those moments, it can be hard to to feel or believe in Jesus. But I want you to see Jesus's response. To Thomas and his doubts. You've got to see it. Now you have to know too, Thomas has massively f- failed Jesus. The night before Jesus goes to the cross, he looks around at all of his disciples and he says, you're all going to run away from me. And it says the disciples went around the table and they said, not me, Lord. I, will ne- I, I won't leave you. I won't leave you. I won't leave you. Thomas looked at Jesus and said, I'll never leave you. And just later that night when Jesus is arrested, it's a very short verse in the Bible, Mark 14, 50. And they all left him and fled. They all ran away. And Jesus hasn't seen Thomas since then. Thomas has run away. He's failed him. He's lied to Jesus' face. And now he's doubted that Jesus is resurrected. And Jesus shows up, and you just imagine that Jesus is going to be like, All right, let me see Thomas. Where is he at? But he, Thomas comes up to him and he looks at Thomas and the first words out of Jesus' mouth is peace. The first words out of Jesus' mouth to a man who's failed him and who's doubting him is peace. Now you've got to, I've said this over and over as we've gone through this this book of the Bible, Jesus is God's word made flesh. He is the fleshed out truth about who God is. That is who God is in our doubts, y'all. He's the one who looks at us and offers us peace. And Jesus, Jesus so much wants Thomas to have peace that he gives Thomas his body to see and to touch and to know And to believe. Jesus says, do not believe, but believe, Thomas. Jesus wants for Thomas to believe. Thomas was not saved. This is really important. Clue in on me with this here. This is important. I want you to hear this. Thomas is not saved because of the strength of his faith. He's saved because of the object of his faith. Some of you have heard me use this illustration before, but I think it it drives this idea home. It's a really important thing for you to get that Christianity teaches. So my friend John Dallin is this kind of like, he was just like wild man growing up. Uh, he was one of four brothers. They, they lived in uh, Signal Mountain, Georgia. He kind of grew up like exploring the woods with his brothers all the time. And uh, he was my first, John Dallin was my first roommate after college. And I remember him telling me this story about when he was with his younger brother, John was in, John Dallin was in the seventh grade and his little brother was in like the fifth grade. And they were walking around in the woods in a part of the mountain that they'd never come to before. And they had found this rope, this random rope in the middle of the woods. And John Dillon's got it slung over his shoulder and uh, they get to this part of the woods that they'd never been to. And it was this big, long, steep embankment. And John Dallin really wanted to see what was over the edge of that cliff. He could tell that it dropped for hundreds of feet, but they were trying to kind of get their bearings. And so he said, I tell you what, I'm going to tie this rope to this tree up here and then slowly back my way down this embankment, just kind of inching my way down. So he begins to do that and he loses grip of this crummy old rope and begins to slide down the steep embankment and he's not sliding slower and slower he's going faster and faster getting closer and closer to this multi-hundred foot drop over a cliff onto rocks his little brother is at the top of this embankment screaming for him he's grabbing at all of this loose gravel that's flying down the mountain all around him and he said (laughs) john he had a little bit of a stutter and john down goes trap if i had one moment in my life on video camera it would be this one. (laughs) As he's going over the side of the cliff, he said he saw a tree sticking out of the side of the rock face, like in a cartoon. As he's going over the side of the cliff, he barrel rolls onto his stomach, grabs hold of the tree. The tree bends like this and holds. His brother thought he had died. His brother's screaming. And all of a sudden, like the epic movie moment, he sees his brother's hand come over the side and grab hold and call for the rope. Now, here's what I want you to think. Did the tree hold John Dallen because he really, really, really had strong belief that when he grabbed it, it would hold him? No, he could have incredible faith that that tree was going to be his savior. But if the tree's root system is bad, he's done. John Dallin wasn't saved because of the strength of his faith in that tree. He was saved because of the object of his faith. The tree was strong. And what the Bible teaches is that you aren't saved by never having doubts and by having this perfect, flawless, strong faith and being a strong Christian who's just like really intense about their faith and has a strong faith. You're not saved by having a strong faith. You're saved by having a strong object of your faith. And that is Jesus. Jesus saves you so much so that he takes your hand and wraps it around the tree as you fall over the side of the cliff. He gives you everything that you need to believe in him. He's that good. He's that good to doubters like Thomas and like you and like me. Now, here's what's beautiful, because maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, great. Thomas gets Jesus's body. He gets to see all of the empirical data. He gets the he gets exactly what he needs. But here's what I want you to know, friends. Jesus has not stopped giving his body to people who doubt. So the night that Christy and I found out that uh, we had had, a, that she had had a miscarriage and we were grieving, we were supposed to um, watch a TV show with our friends. They were coming over, this married couple that we were friends with and, Um, Neither of us had kids, and um, Amy and Joe Cavanaugh were going to come and just watch. We were watching 24 together, which I don't even know if people watch that show anymore, but man, that show's awesome. But we were excited about watching it, and I called Joe and was like, hey, man, this just happened. We're not really up for watching TV tonight. We'll catch y'all later. About 45 minutes later, we hear this kind of timid, gentle knock on our door. And we go and we open the door and there's Amy and Joe and they're holding flowers and they've got our favorite candy and Joe's this like six foot five ex-college basketball player who just swallowed me up in a bear hug and we cried together. And it really was like Jesus was giving me his body. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Jesus tells us that the church is his body. Amy and Joe, who are part of Jesus' church, came and they, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of Jesus, came and hugged us and wept with us, just like Jesus does in our griefs. And they embodied Jesus to us. The way that Jesus meets us in our doubts is still to give us his body. Even more so on the night that Thomas looks at Jesus and says, I'll never fail, I'll, I'll never fail you, I'll never leave you. Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, Thomas, this is my body which is broken for you. He takes bread and he breaks it and he institutes the Lord's Supper. And he said, This is my blood which is poured out for you. Do this. Drink of this. You see, what Jesus has done is he's also given us his. Lord's Supper, and for doubters like me and like you, for anyone who is a Christian, who needs their faith nourished, who needs help with their doubts, he's given the Lord's Supper for you. And some of y'all may, maybe you've like had the Lord's Supper before you've had communion and you eat it and you're like, that, that didn't really do anything. Like, why did I do that? It's like, okay, I can remember this, like thing that Jesus did. Like, why do we do that? Jesus is, we believe that Jesus is actually teaching us and that the rest of the New Testament teaches us that something actually happens to us when we eat of the body of Christ together with the body when we share a meal together because look, Jesus, God, God has made us physical beings and we don't just experience him in our minds. We experience him with our bodies and he knows that. Think about it this way. This isn't like a flawless, perfect parallel example, but if you were to go to a UT game and the eyes of Texas started playing and you didn't hold up the the horns during it, you just kind of like stood there and you're like, this is really an exercise of mental like uh, experience. And I'm with, I'm with the people kind of in my mind and with the team in my mind, we're going to stand here resolutely. And just like that it's being a Texas fan is really more just about like your mental state of being, you'd be missing something, wouldn't you? And when everyone holds up the horns and you sing and you participate with your body, with other people in their bodies, something happens. And something even deeper happens for our souls when we feed on the Lord's Supper together with Christ's family, with the body of Jesus. And so I would encourage you, listen, if you are struggling with doubts, find a church. God has given us his church, the body for doubters. It's a place for doubters. And if you're a Christian who's struggling with their doubts, you need to be receiving the Lord's Supper regularly. It's a gift that Jesus has given you because he gives his body to people who doubt. He hasn't stopped doing that. And so you need to go and feed on him spiritually with his people. So what? A couple quick takeaways. First, and I I think this is important, be patient with people who are doubting Christians. Jesus is patient with doubters. Later on in the book of Jude, uh, Jesus' half-brother who wrote Jude, he, he implores the church, be merciful to those who doubt. Why would Jude say that? Because Jude, we know from earlier in the book of John, doubted Jesus along with Jesus' other brothers. So when Jude is imploring the church how to be and how to um, live with each other, Jude's like, listen, be merciful to people who doubt because I know what my brother's like. And he's patient and merciful with doubters. So believers, be, be patient with those who doubt. But also, for the, if, you, if you're watching this and you don't believe, my encouragement to you would be to believe. Doubt your doubts. Do you see how invested Jesus is for those who doubt? He's the one who has hope. And look, belief can look really weak. For Thomas, belief just looked like him showing up a week later. He was still, Thomas doesn't experience Jesus if he's not with the disciples a week later. Even though he missed out, even though he's doubting, even though he's not really sure what's up. When Jesus shows up a week later, when they're together worshiping, Thomas is there. And belief can look just as simple and plain as having just enough belief to show up. Don't stop showing up. Because what we see is that Jesus will meet us there. So if you're a Christian, the way you face your doubts is you don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Do it with God's people. You do it knowing that Jesus has given himself for you. And in giving himself for you, he's given you ways to be reassured that he loves you and that he's for you. So have, fa- have the faith to do what you need to do, which is to just show up. And if you aren't a Christian, my offer to you is simple. Do you want hope in the midst of all your doubts? In the midst of a world filled with fake news and not knowing what to believe or where to turn to? Don't you want hope? Jesus will meet you. He is the only rock that you can cling to who doesn't save you based on the strength of your grip on him, but based on the strength of his grip on you. So come to him in faith, believing that he can save you. He can. Ask him. He will let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you meet us in our doubts and that you are so invested in saving us that you became a man, Lord Jesus, to ransom and rescue us. And we pray that by your spirit that you would give us the strength to believe. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.